Uh, well, we're moving up. Thank you for moving up front. This is good. By the time your new pastor arrives, you'll be up to speed, and he'll feel he's loved and appreciated. <laughs> uh, welcome to those of you who are streaming this morning. Uh, I've been able to meet people who are here in person, get some names and faces connected, and uh, I'm mindful that uh, I, I can't see you who are watching the stream, but you can see me. A good morning, a special good morning to you. And if you watch it during the week and you're watching this, uh, hello to you as well. Uh, today, uh, we're, I usually hang around, Pam and I hang around after the service and visit and have some fellowship, but today we're going to bug out. Uh, as long as the preacher doesn't go too long, we're going to bug right out. Uh, Reverend Moffat is having his retirement final Sunday hoorah up in Corey, and Corey Church is Pam's home church. So uh, we're going up for his retirement party right after our morning service. I'm going to use some words today that you will raise an eyebrow out. If you were raised in Enola, people in other towns washed their clothes. We washed our clothes. I washed cars at Shoverzesso. I'm going to use that word later. The word fire, pronounced in many communities in Enola, is fire. So with that as an understanding of where we're going, uh, let's begin. Uh, we have looked at the experience of Moses coming to understand that God's clock works at a different pace than other people's clock. And God had a plan for Moses' life, and he pulled that off flawlessly, and God's clock for Moses' life, three 40-year periods, and uh, the clock ticked slowly. Moses was going around Midian, calling uh, himself a stranger in a strange land. He did this for 40 years, and he, he, he wasn't experiencing the presence of God, but the Lord was with him. And so he talked about God's house and of the Lord living where we live. And last week we worked on the attractiveness of God, that Moses saw this strange sight. He was, he was drawn to, um, to the bush and to an experience with God, and we talked about the beauty of God. Now today we get to the issue of God's fire. If you read the Exodus passage, as we will read every week, it's clear that the, um, the bush was burning with fire. It says there was fire, there was a flame of fire, and it says the bush was not burnt. So we've got lots of fire going on here. And the, the fire symbolizes the holiness of God. And I want to talk about two matters concerning God's fire. The first is the concept or the idea of fire. And then I want to talk about the personal impact of fire, and I'll use Moses' life as an example. The scriptures emphasize that fire, first the idea of fire, that fire is a means by which uh, God's character purifies our lives. It's a purifying, destroying kind of experience. When we lived in Oregon from 71 to 77, they grew ryegrass. If you buy a bag of ryegrass, you check on it, you'll probably see that it was raised in state of Oregon. And uh, after the ryegrass was harvested, they'd burn the fields. Now this created a lot of smoke. 
and the smoke would get down the valley, the Willamette Valley, to Eugene, and <coughs> that's the way it was. Now, uh, there were a lot of people who objected to the smoke, but the fields had to be burned because germs needed to be destroyed, diseases needed to be removed, and fire at the same time destroyed what was bad and allowed the field to be purified. So that's just the, that's just the way it was. Uh, when we lived in Oregon, every now and then there'd be a forest fire, and some of these fires were dealt with in a controlling way. They, they didn't try and put them out. The forest had been overgrown, and uh, there would be news comments that this is a chance for the forest to renew itself. So the destroying, purifying effect of fire is a physical image. Now, having said that, I want to look at three passages of scripture that use the fire imagery as a purifying, destroying kind of metaphor. The first, and I've listed these passages uh, in the in the uh, bulletin. Really, Brenda has listed them in the bulletin. I'm going to go through them quickly. So, if you if you want to look more in depth at these, I'm, I'm going to be going kind of fast, but if you want to look more in depth, put a little check mark on those verses uh, in, on your bulletin, and you can check them out later. The first passage is this. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. The beginning of those verses, Moses says, okay, you guys are going into the promised land, but I'm not going to go in with you. That's the gist of it. Then down at verse 23, he says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, you can shuck that thing down to this one cob. A holy God insists on complete devotion and loyalty, period. Complete devotion and loyalty. He's a jealous God. He's a consuming fire. He's not to be trifled with. God's people have an exclusive relationship with the Heavenly Father. Make no mistake about it. The second passage is in Deuteronomy chapter 9. And in that section of Scripture, uh, there's discussion in the early verses of crossing the Jordan, of going, going into a land that is uh, uh, inhabited by giants, and uh, God will clear this out and give you the land then down in verse 4 of chapter 9, it says, After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, quote, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of the land, 
but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to, his, to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then. Now, if you were an English teacher, you'd say, you're repeating yourself. You've already told us this. It needs to be repeated. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. So Moses is not only repeating himself, he's laying it on another layer. You're a stiff-necked people. Now, this passage pictures the land of promise as polluted by people who offend, who live in a way that greatly offends the Lord. He will destroy the wicked, and he will establish righteousness in the land. Again, you've got this imagery of destroy and purify, destroy and purify. Now, we will see later, illustrated in Moses' life, that God is not to be trifled with, and that God will not only not tolerate sin among his people, he will not tolerate sin among the nations. He will call all into question and all into judgment. That's the second passage. The third passage is in Malachi 3. And Malachi 3 uh, begins, uh, 3 uh, verse 1, with a discussion of God sending his messenger to his people. And then down as the second part of verse 2, there is this imagery of God being a refiner of silver. It says, for he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Now there you have two images. God is a refiner's fire, and he gets into the laundry business of, of cleaning up his people. So you, you've got the double whammy there, refiner, launderer. I'm going to talk about the refiner side of that. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have, then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. In other words, the purifying of God's people is related to God's people coming before him as holy saints and giving him worship and praise and offering to him. So here you've got this purifying, destroying imagery again. As metal is heated, the dross comes to the top, the impurities are taken off, and as the story goes, the person doing the refining can look into the hot pot and see a perfect reflection of themselves, where God sees himself reflected in his people. So the right life that we live is a byproduct of God refining us, and God is here refining his people. Uh, there's a song we sing, Purify my heart, O God, uh, renew a right spirit in me. So it's reflected in music. So fire is not the only way, uh, is not God's only way of uh, dealing with people who oppose him. Uh, fire is used by God to purify the people who are his own people. So it works both ways. And we'll see this illustrated in Moses' life. Now, let me summarize this idea of, of fire to start with. We're just talking about a concept, an idea. The first thing that was clear from Deuteronomy 4 
God demands exclusive loyalty, period. Secondly, God's a consuming fire who judges the immorality of people who oppose him. And thirdly, God, as a refiner of silver, matures and perfects his people. And in all of these pictures, the image is the same, destroying and purifying, destroying and purifying. Now, so much for the idea. Three passages illustrating the truth about the fire that started with Moses at the bush. Now, what personal impact can we talk about? What, what difference does this make in the lives of people? What difference did it make in the life of, uh, of Moses? Well, the first thing is, uh, it's obvious that we don't relegate the holiness of God to some abstract quality disjointed from life. We will see in Moses' life that this is a daily issue. It's just not some idea. It has a personal impact upon us. That's why Jeremiah wrote in chapter 9 that we're not to boast about our money or our position or our status. Our boast ought to be that we know and understand the Lord. And he is a certain kind of being. He values certain things. So let's talk about how, how God was dealing with Moses uh, with fire and purifying his life. And the first personal message is this. I think God could have said to Moses, you know, Moses, for 40 years I listened to you run around Midian, calling your son Gershom, which means I'm a stranger in a strange land. Um, I've listened to this for 40 years, and you seem to be totally oblivious to me, <laughs> which it's all, in the, it's all in the book there. And so the Lord says, I'm going to promote you. I'm going to take some things out of your life, like I'm going to take Midian out of your life, and I'm going to send you away to do something for me. So I'm taking some things away, and I'm adding some new things in. And uh, because I take these things away, there's opportunity for your life to grow in a way that you never imagined. Uh, can you imagine a shepherd doing what Moses did later? Well, we know he did it because we know he did it. You say, yeah, he did it. But if you didn't know what he did, can you imagine the end of his life? I can't. I can't. It's just, just remarkable. So God took away certain things from Moses' life, promoted him to another mission, and, and uh, there was the allowing of new growth in his life. So what's the so what about that? Well, have you ever found God taking things out of your life, removing things from your life, so that new growth can take place. Uh, Ward knows this. Uh, I, I shared with him that uh, in November, my wife was tired of me driving <laughs> tractor trailer. <laughs> For 14, 14 months overnight, she was tired of that. There were three other people who were tired of it. So she said, I'm going to pray that God will give you a different job. 
When she did, I thought to myself, got the perfect job. Why, why would God want to give me another job? So it was, it was a week. In the next week, I didn't say that to her. I just thought that, you know, just go ahead and pray. Yeah. So in a week, in that week, Jim Keller from our district called and said, uh, there's something I have to do that your name is written all over. Would you consider doing this? Well, it was the Warren Church. And without any, my soliciting anything, a guy who owns a truck company called me and said, I heard you're a truck driver, and yada, yada, yada. And so I had two jobs within a week. So I looked at my contract with the company I was working for, and I wrote my letter of resignation before either of these things were, were sure. I knew that if this happened, unsolicited. It had to be of the Lord. So I wrote my resignation, submitted it, thanked the people who had given me the work. I appreciate all they did for me, but I had to get rid of something so that new growth could happen. So there's that's my story. I'm sticking to it. The second message of Moses that's personal is... Um, God could have said to him, uh, you know, Moses, you called Gershom, Gershom, you're a stranger in a strange land. And uh, uh, now I know this is something the Lord could have said or could have thought because of what happened later, but he, he, didn't, he didn't say it this way. But when they started on their way to Egypt, God brought Moses to the doors of death. The, the scripture says God tried to kill him. Well, God doesn't try to do anything. He can do it. If he wanted to kill him, he'd kill him. But Moses apparently fell terribly ill. Zipporah circumcised Gershom. And he wasn't a little boy now. He wasn't a child. He wasn't a baby. He was a grown young adult. In order for that to happen, I believe that Moses and Zipporah had to explain to Gershom why this was so important. And I believe they explained to Moses about the covenant of God and that circumcision was the sign of the covenant between God and his people. And if you want to check this out, it's in Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 to 26. That's the story. I said to somebody this morning, I would almost bet that there are many, many people who know a lot about the Bible and they've never heard about this. But in order for Gershom to have this operation, I believe that he had to be have explained to him how this is part of God's economy for his people. Now, circumcision is the sign of the covenant between God and his Old Testament people. Later in Moses' career, he wrote, and I'll bet every child dedication, infant dedication that has taken place in this church, I would almost bet that every pastor read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, 
how you as parents, or we as parents, are to teach the truth of God to our children. When you sit in your house and when you walk in the way and you've heard all this, right? Wave your hand if you've heard this. This is not strange, okay? <laughs> now, Moses wrote that. And I believe that every time he saw a baby boy born, he thought about this event in his life where God brought him to the doors of death. They had to explain what the covenant's about to Gershom. Gershom was circumcised. It's all documented in Exodus 4, 24 to 26. Now, what's the point of this? What's the so what of this? The so what of this is we must pass our faith on to the next generation. And, and I, as a father, am responsible for this. And my wife, as the mother, is responsible for this. We, as parents, are responsible for this. This is our job. And, and as God wouldn't tolerate Moses not passing the faith on, I don't believe he'll tolerate us not passing our faith on. We're held accountable for this. We're held responsible for this. So in our family, we have used, we, it has to be in the home. You know, if the only time children hear Jesus talked about and God the Father and, and prayer and, and all of the things associated with our faith, the only time they hear that's in, in the church. This isn't good. It all starts in the home where we pray where we can have Bible lessons and we can have stories and we can tell stories. We can talk about how the Lord works in our lives, all of these kinds of things, how we found the Lord and, and share our testimonies with our children as they grow up. It's never too early and it's never too late to talk to our loved ones and our family about the Lord. So the takeaway is we use our home, we use our Sunday school, we use our youth group, we use Young Life, we use uh, 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 Youth for Christ, which was part of my life experience growing up. The lesson in Moses and this issue over what Zipporah had to do to rescue him from the doors of death is simply that God's people need to pass the faith on to the next generation. And... and uh, I've shared the things that we have used in terms of Sunday school and teaching the Word of God. I remember one time when our pastor, when I was in seminary, um, the wife of one of our pastors said how they appreciated our youth ministry. Pam and I had the youth group. And she said, children could believe that it's their father who believes these things. It's important for our children to know that you as a young person, I was once young, that you as a young person believe the same things as their dad does. And so there come times in our families when our kids don't believe we know anything. And if you haven't experienced it, just wait. <laughs> and yet, and it's important for them to hear the word of God come from other people. It's just like the story I told about the truck driver who I witnessed to in Baltimore. He said... <laughs> You sound like my wife. And, and he said, I never heard a man talk like you. I said, well, you need to go to church with your wife and you'll run into men who talk like me because what your wife's telling you is the truth. So the, the lesson there is simply um, that we need to pass our faith on to the next generation. Now, there's a little humor in this, but I remember I was talking to a young uh, 
pastor one time, and he was talking about how he would kind of massage things and kind of sneak in and deliver the message just kind of, you know, not down your throat, you know, and he was just like this, you know, he's kind of moving there. And I said, do you know why God gave people a throat? No. So you can ram the truth down it. You know, you're dancing around this thing so much, they're not sure what you're saying. And, and um, yes, we need to be discreet, and we need to be timely, and we need to be relevant. We need to be all of this. But we also need to be clear. Speak the truth in love. But be clear. So anyway, our children need to hear the word of God from us and from our community of faith so that the faith gets passed on. They have decisions they're going to have to make, just like you and I have decisions we're going to have to make. But give them the opportunity to make the decision based on good information. The third personal message to Moses is, um, God could have said to him, you know, Moses, I waited around 40 years listening to you talk about how lonely you were, and then I appeared to you in the bush. My clock ticks slowly. But I also have another clock. I have two watches, one that clicks very fast. And when I tell you something, I want you to do it. And Moses was a bit impetuous, you know. And you know this from reading uh, Exodus, that the Lord told him to do something and, like, do it once. He does it more than once. You just do what you're told. Do it quickly. Do it promptly. Don't wait forever. So God has a clock that ticks quickly as well as a clock that ticks slowly. What's the so what for that? And, and that's, in, uh, uh, that's, that's the personal message number three. What's the so what of that? Well, the so what of that is, when you know something, act on it. Now, I'll go back to my illustration when Pam prayed about another job, because they were fahutzed over... Um, my all-night stuff for 14 months. When I saw, first of all, I don't obey quickly all the time, but when I saw two unsolicited things come to me, first, couldn't believe it, but I believed it because there it was, two phone calls, two different people, I had absolutely nothing to do with that happening. I obeyed quickly. I checked the contract I had. I found out how many days notice I had to be. And even before I wrote the letter, I talked to, to the dispatcher. I talked to the people involved. I said, this is no time for a truck driver to quit. Nobody wants to drive. Nobody, nobody wants to work. Okay? It's all over the place. And this isn't good. I won't keep you hanging, but I think the writing's on the wall about what I have to do. And in a day or so, I got him the letter, and I took it. So, obey quickly. That's a life lesson. Now, so much for the idea of fire, and so much for the personal things that took place in Moses' life because he was serving a god of fire purified and destroyed. Destroyed the things that don't belong, purify the life so that the things that do belong can be
can take root in us. There, there are a lot of things that don't take root in our lives because we make no space for them. And when you make space for stuff that doesn't belong there, it, it takes off and grows. So you've got to keep things cleaned up. Every sermon should have three things, something to know and learn. And what I've learned from this, I can't impose this on you, but um, what I've learned from this is that the God I serve, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ who I love and serve and is my Savior and the blessed Holy Spirit who indwells my life, God demands loyalty. God destroys the things that oppose him, whether it's in my life or somebody else's life. And God wants to refine me and take things out of my life so that the things that he wants in my life as new can take root. That's what I've learned. Now, when I was a little boy, People would go to church, and they would learn what we used to believe we don't believe now. We used to believe this, we don't believe that. We used to believe this, we don't believe in that. I don't ever believe that people go to church to find out what we don't believe. I believe we're here because we want to know what we believe and how that can be worked into our life. So I talk unapologetically about this is what I believe. I believe this. The things I just said, I, I believe them. I believe that... God is a jealous God and that he wants my total loyalty, total devotion. That he will destroy the things that oppose him, whether it's in my life or somebody else's life. And that he wants to refine my life so that my life can be pure and offer a, a righteous, a holy sacrifice to him. And so he refines my life. He gets things out of my life that don't belong there. I, I believe that. I believe that. Now every sermon should have something to do. And, and one of the one of the weaknesses about talking about things is we can think that talking is enough. And it's not enough. It, it, there, things have to be talked about. But having talked about them uh, requires some action. I need to do something. And uh, something I need to do. I accept the fire of God in my life as a sign that he's giving me an opportunity to grow. If, if I had not resigned from a pastorate I had years ago because things were not right and there was, no, there was nothing I could see that would make them right, I needed to step out of that role. I didn't lose my faith. I wasn't disloyal to the Lord. I was doing what I felt the Lord wanted me to do, but I, I made that decision. If I had not done that, I would have never had 15 years with the Harrisburg Chinese Alliance Church as their preaching pastor. They never, they never called me that, but that's what I did. I had no boards, no committees, no meetings, no nothing. I preached the word. I baptized. I did premarital counseling. I did weddings and served Holy Communion. If I had not made the first decision, those last 15 years would not have been marked with that. I had to, I had to, in a sense, die to something to have the new growth come. So I accept the fire of God as an opportunity to grow. That's what I do when I see it. And so I pray for eyes to see. And I pray for my friends that way, that they would, that they would be in the place of service be able to see how God has them there. 
And if they see that, that's just a complete cycle. Another thing I do is I accept the seriousness of passing my faith on to the next generation. Not just with my kids, but my grandkids. Uh, our two older uh, grandsons have ministries they do in their church. And every time I see them, I ask them what they're doing this weekend. What are you doing? What are you assigned to do this weekend? And um, so I'm concerned not just now about my children, but my children's children, the, grand, the grandchildren, and, and other, other children as well. This is important. It needs to go on. They need to know uh, their grandfather loves them and that, and that uh, their grandfather is zealous for the faith he has in the Lord Jesus. I accept that's a serious, serious issue. And finally... Uh, on to, to do is I accept the need to obey quickly. Um, if I miss seeing something that I should decide about, that's one thing. But if I see what needs to be done and I don't do something, this, this is not good. This is not good for me. It's not good for the kingdom. I, I, need, to, I need to act quickly. When, um, you know, when you drive truck, you, you do this Pre-trib, yeah, pre-trib. Ha! We just got the tribulation into truck driving. How can that be? You got the pre-trip, pre-trip inspection, and the post-trip inspection. And you have a whole, a whole list of things that you're to do. Well, if I see something that isn't right, I'll decide later what to do. One night I looked, I opened the bonnet hood, and uh, there are no belts on the alternator generator. There's usually two. There's none. Well, if I start for Pittsburgh, this isn't going to go well. It's the middle of the night to start with, okay? So you got to do something, and you, you do it. So in the physical world, when you see something that isn't right, you call the boss. Hello. <laughs> there are no belts on the alternator generator. He said, quote, that's not good. I said, yeah, that's not good. So, so you do something. In the physical world, when you see something that isn't right, you, you do something with it. Well, in the spiritual world, it's the same thing. If you see that something isn't right, I need to take action on it. Not, not later, but as soon as I can to make, make things right. So there you have it. I, these are the things I believe. These are the things I can see working themselves out in Moses' life relative to the purifying, destroying power of God in his life. And, and it all came out to the glory of God and to the good of Moses and to the good of the nation of Israel. It just worked great. And we would all want to have a life that works great. And this is a way, the way of, of approaching it. Let's pray. Our Father God, the mistakes that Moses made in his life are lessons for us. We don't make fun of him for his humanity. We don't make fun of him for the mistakes he made. We give you glory that you worked in his life to get that corrected and that he stands as a figure in human history who lived for your glory and your honor and blessed your people. And that's what we'd like to do. Live for your glory and honor, be a blessing to your people and to your kingdom. So we worship you in Jesus' name.